Hey everybody, how's it going? Glad you're here. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all the blessings we have in our lives. Especially this gift of a life. You have given it to us for a purpose. So give us the wisdom and the strength and the patience to do your, your will with our lives. For that is when we are fulfilled. That is where we find our joy. Is in you. Amen.
senda double kill save from wrath and make me Among the scoffers, it was 
my sin I held in pain until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me light. I know that it is Him. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mother chosen one Bring many sons to glory But this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom, but this I know. With all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. But this I know, with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. But this I know, with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom.
Friends Church, still got a lot of people coming in the door, but they'll come in, so that's good. Or they'll stay out there and drink coffee. <laughs> no, we're glad you guys are here. Uh, there's a couple things that I wanted to make you aware of. The Beast Feast is coming up quick. It's on the 31st. I just went out to the auction table, and they like doubled and stuff that they're going to be auctioning off for partners, which is so cool. Um, if you guys have anything that you would like to donate... Um, for them to auction off, all of the proceeds are going to be going over to Thailand to help the cause over there with partners and our awesome people over there. Um, so you can talk to them at the WEM table and drop it off there as well. They only have 50 tickets left for the dinner, um, so you can buy your tickets at the counter too. And if you have any questions about it, it's just an awesome night to come out and have fun, uh, get some really cool stuff, and support an amazing ministry in Thailand. Um, so definitely check it out when you go out the door today. Another thing that's happening is Floyd's going to be doing his class 301 at 1245. Lunch and child care is provided as always. If you didn't sign up for the class, but you want to check it out, you're more than welcome to come. It's just an emphasis on how to learn, uh, to better grow your faith and walk passionately with our Messiah, Jesus, which is always good because that's why we're here, right? To hopefully walk closer to Jesus. Um, and it's a really fun class. He goes through the Matrix a lot and keeps it entertaining, so you guys will have a blast. But if you have any questions about that, too, there'll be some people in the back after the, um, after the service at the meet and greet table to answer any questions you might have about that class. And then for, if you are a first-time guest, we'd just love to welcome you back there um, to the meet and greet table so that we can introduce ourselves and answer any questions you might have or anything. If you're part of GGF, they just started a new uh, uh, study on Tuesdays. That's our women's ministry, Tuesday mornings and Tuesday nights. And they have the books for sale that for their new study at the Cove. So you can go see Sherry, I'm sure, will be out there and some other of the GGF leaders to pick up your book if you're already going and you need it. And if not, she'll be able to just tell you about what they do as a ministry. GGF is an awesome way to get plugged in if you're a woman of the church and you want to have fellowship with other fellow believers, sisters in Christ. So that's really cool. And then um, I just wanted to take a second because we officially brought uh, Mariah on staff at Friends Church. So I just wanted to introduce her and Dylan officially. Um, so if you guys want to come forward. <laughs> Dylan, uh, if there's one thing I've learned from working at a church is regardless if your spouse works at the church, they work at the church, which is why we're introducing both of them because they both now work at Friends. <laughs> Um, but obviously they do awesome stuff with the music ministry, which is a total blessing. Um, but also Mariah is going to be helping out. She's our new student administrator, which is an answer to prayer for me. It takes like half my stress off my life. So that was a total answer to prayer. So I just wanted to give it a second and just recognize them, let them introduce themselves. And then Mariah has an announcement to make. So good morning, everyone. As Eric said, my name is Mariah. And I'm really looking forward to and excited about this opportunity to work with students and to be able to minister in this way um, to the church body. Um, one of the big things that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to make sure that our database of student and parent information is completely up to date. Um, I know we've gotten information several times from you guys, but the one thing that we're asking to do, um, 
I'm going to be out in the lobby after this service. I would love to meet with the parents and students and just get to know you, have a conversation, but also be able to get your up-to-date information. Um, I'm going to start sending out a weekly email to parents um, regarding what's going on on Wednesdays and events and being able to send out permission slips for those events as well. So things like that. Um, I'd really like to be in communication with you guys. So I look forward to meeting you after the service. Mariah. Mariah Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, two things I just discovered. Um, I sound weird over the PA, and there are a lot more of you in here than I thought there were. So, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm really looking forward to serving you guys and serving with you. But um, just do life together, do ministry. And I'll be in the lobby afterwards if you have any problems with Mariah. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, we love our staff of the church. I mean, from all the people that volunteer to the people that are on staff, it's just amazing where God is bringing us. Thank you for everybody that pours into this church. And on that note, um, we need people to hold babies today. It's amazing that uh, Kathy's actually short people to hold beautiful little cuddly babies. So if you want to hold some beautiful babies this morning in nursery, Kathy's in the back there. She is going to be in there as well if nobody shows up. But if you want to help her out, then we'd really appreciate it. Just an awesome ministry uh, that uh, you can be a part of right now. So talk to Kathy. We're going to dismiss the kids to Kids Church right now, and we'll be back in just a second. Thank you.
Thank you. 
Father, I thank you for who you are. One, for this morning that you have just chosen to reveal to us in a great way the beauty of prayer. God, I pray that you would be glorified in this place. That we would have hearts to hear what you have to speak to us, Lord. Lord, that you would just draw us into the greater revelation of love and the gift that you have given us in communication with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you ushers want to come forward, we're going to take the offering really quick, and I'm going to pray again. I just can't look at that verse without praying, so let's pray really quick for the uh, for the tithe and offering. And, and if you're our guest, uh, guest this morning, we just ask that you pass on the book, and it's just their sign of worship. But Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us much to be stewards of, God, and as a church body that we can just come together for the, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your glory moving into this community and across this earth. And Lord, I pray that as we give our time and our money, Lord, that you would further it for your purpose, that you'd be glorified, that we would use it well, that we'd be good stewards of what we've been given, Lord, and that you would just be king over all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to start... About a two-month series on the Lord's Prayer. And I am excited. And I am completely overwhelmed. Because <laughs> where do you start with the topic of prayer? I thought about that all week because today's the introduction. And, you know, we have prayer. We have um, the whole entire Bible is filled with stories of prayer. From Job crying out from the depths of just the darkest place to David in the Psalms, to Paul just declaring the glory of God in the New Testament. And you just see the depth and the difference and just the magnitude of this um, topic and of this gift that God has given us. So I think that he's given me some direction um, for this morning, so that's good. You're not in my hands. Hopefully we're all in God's hands. I rewrote the whole sermon yesterday, so it's fresh. But... Let's start here. In the New Testament, Jesus picks 12 men to be his disciples, right? And these men are from all different walks of life. And he says, to follow me. And when he said that, he meant it quite literally. It wasn't like they just met for school and rotated classes every day. Um, he became their master teacher. And as his ministry moved from village to village, the disciples moved from village to village. And... Um, they lived with him for three years. Can you imagine what they would have seen? I mean, they were there when Jesus turned water into wine. Like we talked about um, in our, our Christmas series, the new economy that we see in Genesis 49, the fulfillment of the Messiah. Just a picture of it. They watched him command the sea and the winds to be still, and they watched as the earth obeyed. He cast out demons. He raised the dead back to life. Fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And in fact, had so much leftovers that the 12 disciples all got a basket to take with them. Um, they watched Jesus spit in the man's eye and restore his sight. They marveled as he lifted paralytic up to their feet and watched him dance away. And were there when the mute praised the name of the Lord. 
I mean, they saw incredible things from the lepers being restored to full health and, and ex- when we're there in the streets when a woman reaches out and touches Jesus and is not only restored from 12 years of bleeding, but is restored back to honor in her community. These are the guys who rode out to sea four miles and almost peed their pants because Jesus decided to join them late by walking on the water. It's, I can just imagine what the conversation was. Just like Thomas is like, are you sure you don't want to come with us, Jesus? We're going out to sea. And Peter's like, dude, just roll with it. You know how stupid we looked with the loaves of fish. Like, I don't want to question him anymore. It'll happen. And then he just shows up. But they saw amazing things. Not only did they learn the revelations of the scriptures daily following after him, but they were also given unspeakable privilege of being eyewitnesses to the multitudes of miracles he performed every single day. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to be one of those 12 and watch as redemptive history unfolded before your eyes? It boggles my mind to even think about what they would have seen. It says in John that if we recorded all of the things that Jesus' ministries uh, that he accomplished in his ministry, the books on earth wouldn't be able to contain it. They saw a lot of stuff, right? And they had an inside track with Jesus. He was their teacher. He was their master. So they had unreserved uh, relationship with him. They had complete and full access to the Son of God. If you had that access, what would you have asked him? I thought about that this week. I mean, how to turn water into wine, how to command the winds and the seas to obey. You'd have unfiltered access to Jesus, the image of God, the light of the world. What would you ask? When I thought about this, my head filled with a list pretty quick of things I would have asked him, which only added to my surprise when I looked into the Word and saw that the only thing recorded in all the Gospels the first disciples asked Jesus to teach him was this. Jesus teached him, or they asked him to teach him how to pray. You see all of these other things, all of these amazing miracles, you experience all of this stuff, and the only thing that's recorded, I'm not saying that's the only thing they said, but I... They asked, but I will say there is no record of anyone asking Jesus to teach him to lead, counsel, heal, cast out demons, preach. They may have. They probably did. But when the Word shows us something that's so verbatim, now when Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. That's a, that's a, that's a huge marker to tell us that there is something powerful right there right why why would they ask him that probably because they saw the link between his extraordinary power uh and his prayer life his teaching his character his whole person because they could see that jesus is leading his counseling his healing his casting out his preaching ministry emerged out of his relationship with his father and they saw that the key to that relationship was prayer Jesus, after all, was always slipping away to pray. In the Word, we see the intensity of His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When He prayed with such stress and fervency that His sweat was like great drops of blood. Before He selected His disciples and called them to follow after Him, the Word says that He prayed an entire night alone. Stayed up all night and prayed. 
It was key to who he was. The disciples would have had not missed this commitment to prayer. They would have seen it clearly. They saw the intimacy Jesus had with the Father, and they made a connection between his prayer and his power. I don't think the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because they wanted another spiritual technique notched in their belt. I think it goes way, way deeper than that. Jesus teaches how to relate with Yahweh. This one that was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of clouds by day. The one that shook the earth when he descended onto Mount Sinai. The one in the Psalms that David describes as being the one who can melt the mountains with his breath. Teach us how to relate to him. You call him father? Teach us how to pray. These 12 men weren't looking for religious practice. They were looking for relationship. They were looking for understanding. And they were longing to know deeper the foundation that Christ himself was completely built on. And what is Jesus' response? See, this is the amazing thing to me because it would have been easy for Jesus to say, you want to know how to pray? Read the Psalms. You talk about some intense prayer. There's some amazing things revealed to us in the Psalms. And I would just uh, extend that to you today. If you want to learn how to pray, read the Psalms. But the amazing thing is, is that Jesus doesn't say that to these 12 He teaches them to pray 57, if you count the original Greek, 57 brilliant words that hold an insight of how they came to understand God themselves and their whole entire world. And today they hold the same truth for us. So for the next couple months, we're going to be diving into the Lord's Prayer and spending some time getting to know maybe for the first time the beauty and the power of these words and what they reveal to us about the heart of God. And I mean, if there is one person in history we should be listening to and waking up about prayer and how we should do it, it should be the Son of God. And He laid it out for us. Anyone this morning feeling inadequate in your prayer life? You're like, great, now I just feel guilty. Anyone feeling confused about what the point is? You're feeling lost in it. You feel like it's more of a duty than a gift. That's a huge one for us. It's almost like we have to stand up and say, you should be praying. It's like, why would we try to convince you to do something that's so beautiful when it should flow from a place of realizing how precious of a gift it is? So we're going to try to get back to that. But all of us feel like we should be praying, right? There's no mystery in that. Some of you might be asking yourself the question, why didn't I just stay home and not have to listen to a guy tell me something I already know I should be doing? But you're here. I mean... Even people who are skeptics are drawn to prayer. I've had many people in my life, friends of mine, who don't even believe in God ask me to pray. When trauma hits, when a death hits, when sickness hits, stress, whatever it might be. Tim Keller, an amazing pastor and theologian, goes as far as saying this. He says that prayer is a natural human instinct. He stresses that there is something in us from God that knows that we are not alone in the universe and that we were not to meant to go alone in it we can't escape it but what an incredibly overwhelming topic to talk about the depth of this one czech scholar put it like this the ark of the lord's prayer spans the whole of cosmic reality in its height and its depth prayer is a huge 
subject that brings all kinds of emotions together. I remember when I was seven years old, my mom told me that if I, if I prayed, God would give me the desires of my heart. And I remember how I heard that. You pray and you get things. Now, I swear to you, that night, I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I laid in my bed so confidently because I knew in the morning God would have a BMX bike in the garage. Like literally, this is a true story. So I prayed, you know, a silver one, I want a red bow on it. He's like my personal Santa Claus, right? And I woke up and I remember my thought process of like, dude, it's there. I know it's there. My mom told me that if I pray, God will give me the desires of my heart. So I run down the hallway, I run into the garage and it's empty. (laughs) But how many of us feel like that now? We come to God with these things and we, we feel like we have these great burdens and it says that He's going to give us, He's going to be the fulfillment of what we need, right? He's going to give us our desires. The Word says these things and yet we feel empty. We feel like He doesn't come through. So there's a lot of emotions when it comes to prayer. And my greatest prayer this, these two months is that you have a greater understanding of the fact that God always answers prayer and He's always good. Um, and I'll tell you that today I'm so glad that I have a greater understanding of prayer than a seven-year-old trying to find a BMX bike. I'm so glad because it is so much deeper and I'm not mad anymore about my bike. (laughs) No, but what's amazing to me is that when, when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, he gives them 57 words, 57 words to wrap up the realities of what will please a father's heart. I mean, and honestly, in my studies this week, I don't know what has been more shocking, the depth of this short prayer or the shallow nature in which we approach it today. I mean, a lot of us, dare I say most of us, have this prayer memorized somewhere in the back of our minds almost accidentally. Like if we started quoting it right now, I'm sure halfway through you'd be like, yeah, that kingdom, oh, I know this, right? It was almost like taught to us without even us realizing it. It's one of the most memorized and prayed prayers in all of history. And yet at the same time, it is so forgotten and neglected. And this is what the Son of God says to pray to the Father. But the cool thing is for us, starting off this series today, is that you probably already have it tucked away in your memory banks somewhere. So we're going to start by making good use of that real estate and bringing new life to it. And uh, even if you don't have it memorized, I counted in my ESV. I think there's 53 words, not 57 in my ESV translation. So you got 53 words to memorize that will change your prayer life forever. It's pretty awesome. But before we dive into the Lord's Prayer, there's four verses that Jesus gives in his account at the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about prayer of how we should not pray. And he actually, it's the introduction to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's account. So I think before we even touch this thing with a 10-foot pole, we need to listen to those four verses and figure out where the foundation needs to be before we address it. Does that make sense? So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 6, 5, that's where we're going to begin this morning. Let's just read this together. Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, And when you pray, and notice this, church, I want you to know something. Because the reason I, I made this the title of our sermon today is Jesus expects us to be praying. He doesn't say, and if you pray, you guys should pray, so when you do it, he said, hey, 
when you pray to me, when you speak to me, we're in relationship. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't have a prayer life, that's an oxymoron. Getting so much value in what with your relationship to God, which is good because all you have to do is start praying and immediately you're starting to grow. But just notice that when you pray, he uses this twice right here. You must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. So we're going to break this into two chunks. We're going to start with the top half. Number one on your outline, true prayer requires humility. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The term hypocrite here, originally, in its context, was used for actors on a Greek stage that put on various masks for different roles. They were play actors. This original meaning of the term had nothing to do with insincerity. We don't charge actors today for being hypocrites or insincere simply because they're playing a a role, right? So this is who Jesus is addressing. People who use prayer as a show, they love this role. They they actually have like Oscar-worthy performances of this role. Why? To be seen by others, apparently, and for the praises of men. But here Jesus is warning them that prayer should never be about making yourself look holy or pious. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Prayer is about our intense understanding of our need for God to be God. See, the hypocrites are sitting at the street corners and people are looking at them and they're feeling better about themselves. They're feeling more competent about themselves. They're like, man, I'm my own God right now. I'm getting the praise of men. But God needs to be God, not man. St. Augustine, the greatest theologian of the first millennium of Christian, Christian history, once wrote a letter on the subject of prayer. This is actually his only letter on the subject of prayer. And in it, he laid out several principles or rules for prayer. Where he starts might seem counterintuitive at first, but he said before we can ever turn to the question of what to pray or how to pray... We must first be a particular kind of person. He writes, you must account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. He argues that no matter how great your earthly circumstances, they cannot bring you peace, happiness, and joy that is found alone in Christ. The scale must fall from our eyes. We need to know who we are. We are not God, nor will we ever be God. And this goes right in line with what Jesus is saying here, that when we come to pray, its purpose isn't to boost our pride and make us something we're not. Its purpose is to expose our need and to find our Redeemer. We need to pray because we need God. Jesus actually gives us an even clearer picture of this in Luke 18. Two men went into the temple. Every single time I read that, I think that I'm going to say a joke. It's like two men went into a temple, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. But this is actually a parable of Jesus. So I think he's a funny man, though. But this 
isn't really that humorous. So two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at the difference between these two men. Who is the Pharisee playing right now? What is his role? What is his mask? He's a proud, self-centered man. This, there is no sense of reverence. There's not even a sense of need. God, I thank you for how great I am. That's a horrible way to come to the Holy of Holies. Prayer is a means of boosting his pride. Now look at the other man, the tax collector. Who is he? He's an honest, broken man in need of mercy who understands that God is the only one who can lift him and save him. And as Jesus shows us, this man's prayer was heard and received by God. You see the difference? It's important to note also that Matthew 6 uh, in Matthew 6 that both hypocritical and true prayers receive a reward let's look at it again the hypocrites reward is that men see them so that's self-righteousness and pride that's their reward the humble man's prayer reward is that God sees them in secret and The thing that shocks me is it's amazing that those rewards actually would be in competition. I mean, think about that. Settle for the praises of man or be in the presence of God. But as we see over and over in history, we settle for the praises of man all too much. I mean, in John 12, 12, it says that that the Pharisees, because they loved being in the synagogues and for fear of being kicked out, didn't believe because they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. That's a bold statement. So, look at what Jesus says this, here in just a few verses past the Lord's Prayer. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also true treasure is found in God alone and this is the first place that Jesus starts to unveil the truth of prayer true prayer comes from the humility and the honesty of our hearts our hearts desperately need to be focused on God in prayer with a clear understanding of our need for him and Jesus is lovingly calling us out of settling for the praises of man so that we can find true rest in the presence of of God. But you know what also, this verse is so cool because you know what also it's telling us? When he says, don't do this, he's revealing to us how he wants us to come. Because in that he doesn't want us to play a role, he actually wants you to be yourself. You see that? So prayer takes humility, but it also takes honesty. Where we don't have to play a role to come to God and speak to him. In fact, he doesn't want us to. Some of you might be feeling incompetent because you don't have eloquent words. Some of you might be feeling like you need to downshift into the King James when you pray. 
I mean, how many of you have been around those people that when they start praying, they're like, I beseech thee, dear Lord, that thy might heed my call. It's like, where are we right now? God does not need you to play a role to be heard. He needs you to be honest. He needs you to speak from your heart. He wants to know you. He's inviting you in. He wants to meet you. He doesn't need a better or different version of who you think you need to be. You see that? It's beautiful. So it starts with humility of the heart and it starts with honesty of the heart. See the foundation before we even get to the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus is saying. Come to me like this. Pray to the Father like this. This only becomes clear in what Jesus says in the next verse. Verse 6. When you pray, go into your rooms and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now we look over this prayer sometimes and we say, yeah, Father, Father, Father. Let me tell you something. That phrase, Father, that wording, Abba, Father, was revolutionary. It flipped the world on end. That this pillar of fire now we speak to as Abba. Okay, we're going to get into that later next week though. That's not the point for today. But I will tell you that um, prayer speaks of adoption, of relationship. And Jesus is pointing out here that true prayer is intensely private. Its purpose is not to display our spirituality like badges on a vest before a watching world. But instead, its focus is communion with our Father. Communion with God. Relationship with God. The common Palestinian house in the first century didn't typically have separate private quarters. And if there was, it was usually just an inner storehouse for food that had a door and a lock on it. So literally what Jesus was saying, if you look at it in context, he's saying, go lock yourself in the pantry. Get out of the common zones with men. Get away from people. They are not the focus of this. Lock yourself in the pantry and meet God. He wants to meet with you. And remember the one who's telling us to do this is not a wise sage. He's not just some prophet. This is the Son of God. This is God telling us that God wants to meet with us. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Father who is in secret, who sees in secret. There is no place you can go that God does not see you. Some of you are in the darkest days of your life right now. You might feel completely incompetent and isolated, completely alone. But let me tell you something. God is a God who lives in the secret. He knows your greatest desires and He knows your greatest needs. He knows your greatest secrets and is calling you to trust Him To call on Him and to get away with Him. Our prayers are meant to flow from a secret place with our God. I want to be clear on something though. These verses are not telling us not to pray publicly. In fact, if we looked at the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice that the whole entire prayer is worded in the plural. It's framed as a corporate prayer rather than a private. And multiple times through the Word, we're actually commanded to pray together. Lay hands on each other. Lay your hand on your brother. Pray for one another. Multiple times we're told to pray for one another. But what it is showing us here is that all of our prayer should be an overflow of our private prayer life. 
He needs to be our focus, and that will become even clearer once we start diving into the Lord's Prayer. But all of our prayer, whether I'm in a group of people or whether I'm hiding in my pantry, my focus is God. Okay? It's important to note that. So number two on your outline, or three, I guess. Three, yes. True prayer takes, requires faith. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. The term Gentile here, just to clear some things up, because we're all Gentiles, and it's like, don't be like the Gentiles. When you pray, don't pray like Friends Church. Just, uh, that's not what it's saying. In its context, it's not saying so much of who those, that the people were not Jewish, if you look at the context and the history of it, instead, at this time, it's talking of a people who did not understand what it means to know God as a heavenly father. They had no personal relationship with Yahweh. Again, we see that prayer is rooted in a relationship with God right here. This is important to know because these people Jesus is referring to were people who worship foreign gods and whose prayer life was consumed with badgering a reluctant deity to show up. In 2 Kings, the priests of Baal continued from morning till noon crying, Oh, Baal, answer us while stabbing themselves. And at one point, Elijah looks at him and he's like, Maybe Baal's uh, in the bathroom. Literally, he says that. Maybe he's relieving himself right now and he's just, Sorry, dudes. He's not showing up. But for them, their, their petition, their word was almost mechanical. It's like, Oh, Baal, Oh, Baal, Oh, Baal, Oh, Baal. Obey, obey. It's just like there was no relationship. And in fact, they spoke in such a way they were trying to appease him to show up. Like, I'm going to stab myself until you show up, Baal. And then the multitudes in the theater of Ephesus shouted for two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians in Acts 19.34. For two hours. Jesus is stressing that our prayer life should not be mechanical. We can easily fall into this pattern of praying in a repetitious fashion without engaging our minds all the time, can't we? I remember a couple years ago, me and Lauren were at Lemongrass eating dinner, and the food came, and uh, I prayed over it from like one of those prayers that you just sort of have on the side that you just pull out of the hat really quick, and then you go on with your life. And the second we started picking up our utensils to eat, I got so convicted. I don't know why God chose that night at Lemongrass when I was on a date with my wife, but I was so convicted. It's like God saying, is that how you talk to me? That's all you got. And I looked at Lauren, you can, uh, I have a, the most patient, loving wife in the whole world. I'm like, put down your utensils, I need to pray again. And I prayed for probably about five minutes about God's sovereignty and his glory and his will and his kingdom coming and she's like oh my it like ended up being the they use their many words I think I went a little overboard but how many times do we just come to God in these situations where it just is nothing I mean the Lord's prayer is, is such a thing like that so where we can just say our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's like are we drones God gave us this for revelation and understanding, okay? So right here, Jesus is stressing to us, prayer is not supposed to be mechanical, but what he is not telling us is repetition 
is, is wrong because he tells us to memorize the word constantly. In fact, memorizing the word is the most powerful thing we could ever do as a people because having it be the foundation of who we are and overflow from us is the only way we're going to make it through this life and through God's grace. I mean, the word of God sustains us. So it's important that we, that we meditate on the word, that we're that we constantly go back to it. And in fact, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus say, take this cup. How many times did he say it? Three times. We see people over and over and over. Paul saying, take this thorn from my said. He didn't only say it once. There's repetition. But it's out of a heart of relationship and understanding of who we're talking to, not a mechanical deity that we're trying to appease. Okay? So, moving on. God wants to hear our hearts, and sometimes that looks like honest petitions. But it should never look mechanical and mindless. The second part of this is so cool. Because it says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. And this, to me, rings of David's words in Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. There is not a word from my tongue that I say that you don't know it before I speak. When we pray, we are called to cling to the truth that God our Father already knows and anticipates our words, that He is not far off and that He dearly loves us. We don't need elaborate words to try to coerce Him into action. He sees everything completely. He knows everything we need before we even speak it. Now I say this very gently. But let me tell you something. I had a heart-to-heart conversation with a, a very close relative of mine this summer. There was a situation that happened in our family that went completely the opposite way that we were praying. And in all honesty, they were struggling at this moment with trying to even understand what the point of it all was. Eventually, the words came out, what is the point of prayer? We pray diligently and the word says that God already knows what we need and yet still things go south. I don't even think He's there. I don't even think it does anything. I didn't even know what to say. Because in my own heart, I struggled with, what do you say to that? Well, if the question is, does prayer change things, according to the word, that is very, very clear and very evident. It shows clearly that prayer changes all kinds of things. But let me tell you something. R.C. Sproul writes this, the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change into the conformity of His grace. Prayer changes us profoundly. True prayer draws us to say in every situation of our lives, not my will, but yours be done. You are God. You are the only God outside of who you are. There is no hope. So I stand on the fact that you are good and that you reign and you always answer me. Tim Keller once said this, which I think is brilliant. And I put it in your outlines. He said, God will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. 
which is kind of hard to hear sometimes. But prayer requires faith. It takes us to lay ourselves down before a loving God and trust that His ways are good and that He is in control regardless of what we perceive the outcome to be. When we were driving into church this morning, we were listening to Chris Rice, um, It Is Well With My Soul, and those words just hit me on this point. This is the heart of prayer. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that was taught me to say it's well with my soul. Because you are God. And you're in control. Psalms 13, 1 through 6, beautiful picture of the honesty of a heart trying to deal with reality of life, but the foundation of faith found in prayer. This is David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your faith from, face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me, look on me and answer, Lord, my God... Give light to my eyes or I sleep in death and my enemies say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But let me, this is the anchor right here. This is the prayer. This is where he rested. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing the Lord praise for he has done good to me. Prayer. In it changing things, the most important thing is change us. So with all that in mind, let's begin to look at how Jesus taught us to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We only got a few minutes left, but I want to leave you with three points. Number one being, this prayer frees us from anxiety. If you are struggling with trying to find out if God is listening to you, listen to how Jesus says to come to the Father. There is confidence to know that when we speak to God in the way that He has lined out for us to speak to Him, He is going to hear us. It frees us from that anxiety. It's an awesome gift to know the heart of God. And that's number two. It reveals for us the Father's heart. In prayer, we learn what the Father wants to do in your life. Jesus is saying, pray to the Father like this, because this is what He wants to accomplish in you, through you, around you. On his heart is hallowing his name. On his heart is the coming of his kingdom. On his heart is the fulfilling of his good pleasure and providing for you everything you need to live a kingdom life, canceling debt and reconciling us, protecting us from the attacks of Satan. There is only one place more revealing of the heart of God, and that's John 17, where Jesus himself prays, and we overhear him open his heart to his Father. But as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are drawn deeper and deeper into the concerns of our triune God. We know the Father's heart. We know what He longs to do. He wants to forgive your debt. He wants to reign over you and lead you. He wants to 
keep you away from the attacks of the enemy. I'm going to move on because I'm running out of time. But three, and this is the kicker for me. This is the thing that just blew my mind this week. Is the Lord's Prayer is such a wonderful gift because in it, Jesus grants us what Blaise Pascal, one of the greatest minds in all of history, called the dignity of causality. When we pray, God is granting us the unspeakable privilege of partnering with Him and fulfilling the purposes in this world. No prayer has given us more privilege than the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at that in a second. It's mind-blowing. As we pray the prayer, we are joining with the living God in bringing about the realization of His heart's desire for the entire world. Now, Daryl Johnson in his book on the Lord's Prayer shows this fact is one of the major themes developed in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations. In chapter 6 through 8 of Revelations, we see Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, breaking the seven seals of the scroll of history. This is the end of the world. This is craziness. And as he does so, each seal at a time, we discover the secret of history the scrolls contain. In each seal, someone is praying. In each seal scene, someone is praying. Then comes the seventh seal, and John writes this. And when he, the Lamb, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Silence. Revelation 8.1 says that for a half an hour in the heavens, silence. Now, in heaven, there is angels around the throne of God that proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Day and night, through all of eternity, nonstop, and at this moment in time, silence. All of heaven stops listen to why this is because it is amazing in john's vision an angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer and the incense was the prayers of the saints of God's people on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. To put that into layman's terms, here's what happened. The heavens became silent and God listened to the prayers of the earth. That's crazy. That he would let us and invite us and let us be part not only to redeem us, but to make us part of redemptive history. And listen to what New Testament scholar George Bleasy Murray, an expert on the book of Revelations, writes about this passage. He says, The significance of this picture can hardly be overestimated. No one was more aware that John, uh, than John of the limitations of what individual men and women can do to change the course of history and to bring in the kingdom of heaven, particularly in the face of cosmic forces. The heavens were silent against them and the transcendent character of the kingdom itself but we can pray to him who has almighty power and it would seem that god has willed that the prayers of his people should be part of the process by which the kingdom comes the interaction between the sovereignty of, the, of god and the prayers of the saints is part of the ultimate mystery of existence faith is called on to take both seriously so how does this truth work its way into the lord's prayer worship team if you want to come forward this is the thing that blows my mind around about this prayer because when you look at this prayer in the Greek, the whole entire prayer is framed in, imperative, in an imperative mood. Meaning each one of these verbs, hallowed, come, be done, give us, is an imperative verb. Now if you don't know what that means, let me, let me tell you what that means. 
The imperative is the mood of command. The mood of desire. It expresses the will to will. One New Testament grammar theologian said this, normally the imperative carried with it a very forcible tone of command. The ancient Greeks so regarded this an imperative verb that they never employed an imperative in the communication with the superior, which is crazy when you think about the fact that with the way Jesus told us to pray to the Father, the superior of superiors is framed completely in imperatives. They are literally commands. Before you think I'm a heathen, just roll with me for a second. Be hallowed, be done, become, all in command form. Not that human beings are to order God around. We can all take a breath now. Not at all. And yet the verbs are an imperative. Now remember that this is Jesus himself who is teaching us this. He is the one who put the verbs in the imperative. It is Jesus who is teaching us to speak to the Father so boldly. Be hallowed your name. Come your kingdom. Be done your will. See, we've been reading this prayer wrong. Maybe. Maybe you've grasped it, but maybe you haven't. Because the prayer is not, God, help us to hallow your name. God, help us to bring your kingdom. God, help us to bring your will. The prayer is, God, Father, you do it. You hallow your name on earth as it is in heaven. You bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You make your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is telling God to do what he alone can do. It changes the whole tone of the prayer. We're asking God to do what He can do. In a sense, we're commanding God to be God and to do what only He can do. The whole entire prayer is God-centered, inviting God to be who He alone exists to be. Now, an awesome way to understand this truth is this. This is why I left uh, a blank between the Lord's Prayer on that second page. Is the phrase on earth is in heaven is not just the middle of this prayer. It's the middle of the whole entire Sermon on the Mount. Almost, if you count the verses, it's almost dead center. Meaning that this whole entire thing is about the heavens coming onto earth. What God is doing up there. Who He is up there being revealed to us. So the whole tone of this prayer is this. Let me tell you. Father in heaven, Your name is hallowed amongst the worship of angels. You are superior. You are before all things. You will be after all things. And in this moment in my life, I need you to reign. So, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Father, your kingdom is perfect. The economy of your way goes through all of creation. And as your perfect kingdom in the heavens are, I'm asking you right now to bring it to earth. Father, your will is perfect. Your ways are perfect. Your desires are perfect. I'm a flawed human being who doesn't even know what he wants. So in this moment on earth, as it is in the perfect nature of your heavens, bring your will. So if you want to write that in this week and just pray through it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can go through each one of those like that. And now let me tell you why it's not an oxymoron to come 
to God with imperative verbs because the only way we come to God is through confidence of our high priest, Jesus. And in, and in Hebrews, to end us today, it says this, Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that may, we might receive that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in those times of need. He, don't, he doesn't only want us to conf, come in confidence. He wants us to speak in confidence for Him to be what He alone can be. Based around His will, based around who He is, right? So we're not barking God around and telling Him to do things for us. We're telling God to be God in every situation. We're declaring Him to be who He already is. And there's no way in the world He wouldn't answer that prayer. God be God. You got it. Right now. It might look different than what you're expecting, but I promise I'm going to be God. So He's saying, command it. Trust it so much, confidently that you command it. Alright, we've got to be done. But, so we come to the Father through the teaching and revelation of the Spirit, who, who it says gives us words that even go beyond words, to speak through the redemptive nature of the blood of Christ, and we are heard. And if we come to the Father and ask Him to be who He alone can be for His glory and His will and His kingdom, He will fulfill that request in your life. Amen? If you guys are struggling with things this morning, we're going to have some, some of the prayer team come up. We'd love to pray with you. I know it's a huge thing to grasp our minds around. Next week, we're going to be talking about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I'm excited about that. But be blessed. Have an awesome week. And if you, if you have kids, you might want to go pick them up right now. Because I went late. I love you, Lord, and I live my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Take joy, my.
Have a good week.